Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. edition of the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. In Nashville, Tennessee, I'm the professor, Matt Perkins. And to stop fade across the Harpeth River from me here in the Music City, it's our own offensive coordinator and the host of the Believe in Georgia Dogs Football Podcast, the coach, Corey Burton. What's up, Matt? Yes, that was a great plug. Uh, we just put in the, the stop fade uh, concept. We call it snap. So that's the signals we snap like that. Um, we just put that in, and uh, it's going to be a, a key cog to our quick passing game. And also, yes, uh, catch me on the Believe in Georgia Dogs podcast. We actually um, we're going to talk about some other sports too uh, throughout the football offseason, but it's going to be centered around Georgia football. But I'm going to shed some light on some other sports as well. But uh, we had an episode come out today, Matt. We we've got a special edition coming out tomorrow, and then of course we run on a Monday Thursday schedule. Here at the Believe in Georgia Dogs podcast, and a little uh, hunker down Monday, right? A little hunker down Monday, uh, and we got an extra hunk. We got a hunker down Tuesday tomorrow. So um, make sure you hunker down and listen. Uh, give check me out on iTunes and uh, Matt. This is the place where we join forces. The and uh, talk about your podcast, the Believe in Vandy podcast, the Believe in Vanderbilt football podcast. Well, I'll get to that after we introduce the third amigo in the second city, a man who has become well acquainted with his realtor. It's our intrepid blogger from Big Ten and Counting, Josh Cook. Yeah, doing uh, doing the meeting tomorrow as we record this on Monday night. Looking looking to get out of the rental game and uh, purchase a condo. Moving on up. There, there you go. I thought Matt was going to introduce you as a man who just put down his euro, but <laughs> I felt like that was a hell of a euro. I bet. Josh, there are two kinds of people in this world, in the words of Michael Scott. Mm-hmm. Those who rent and those who own condos. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean. The second. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, f- for people not acquainted with Chicago, like, it's not your, like, divorced dad's condo. <laughs> for instance, did an open house on Lakeshore Drive right across from the park, so a little bit nicer than than that. That eh, could be worse. Could be worse. Could be. Well, could be guys, we, we, we are could all... Could be living uh, in St. Louis. Could be living in Missouri. Or, or Gainesville, Florida. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. Or anywhere in Florida right now. <laughs> That's true. Well, uh, let's uh, take that natural transition from the state of bleep that is florida to the state of bleep that is the college football schedule this season uh in the past week the acc big 10 and pac 12 have all announced they will be going to a conference only schedule uh for those of you who are excited to see ohio state versus oregon uh wisconsin versus notre dame at lambeau field or others sorry you are sol this season they will have to be rescheduled it is obviously COVID is you know from day to day, we have no idea what's going to happen. It's, it the, it's the number one recruit in the state of bleep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
uh, COVID is, yes, the number one <laughs> recruit in the state of Bleep and the state of Florida, which are one and the same. Um, Josh, though, uh, first of all, it, assuming, I mean, that, that's a big assumption right now, that we do have a football season this fall and we do move to a conference-only scheduling, how do you think that is going to affect uh, some of these bigger schools? Good question. I, I mean, first of all, the announcement just before talking about any specifics are a stopgap measure. It delays the season a couple extra weeks for most teams and most conferences, which gives a little bit of a bubble, I guess, of some extra time to see if anything sorts out. Personally, I'm of the mindset that there's about a 0% chance we get a college football season this year, but that's pessimistic and that's not very good podcasting. So I'll answer your question. Who does this impact the most? I think it impacts the Pac-12 teams because the committee hasn't really enjoyed what they do in conference. And a lot of the teams, uh, Stanford and USC, for instance, schedule Notre Dame. And that right there is a marquee out-of-conference game. So it hurts the Pac-12. Um, it hurts Notre Dame because as of now, they have six ACC teams, and that's kind of in flux. You mentioned they lost the Wisconsin game. So what in the world is Notre Dame's schedule going to be? So they're the big loser. And then there's also a few pockets of teams. For instance, um, we've obviously put the show now on hold because there's not going to be this game. But for Coach's podcast on Georgia, I prepped about the Virginia-Georgia game. There's a lot of those games like Georgia where they are a national title contender and getting Virginia to open the season would be a good test, um, not an impossible test, not even necessarily a super challenging test, but a nice kind of like baseline to see where the team is at, what do they need to do to improve on. And now suddenly they're going to have and to do that Georgia litmus Tech test too. with a conference game. Say they get upset, they're down one in the SEC race, they might not be able to recover from that. Well, Georgia opens up their conference slate if they don't completely blow up the schedules. They open up the conference slate with Alabama. Yeah, so that, that's a little bit of an issue. And and we and and Georgia had Virginia and East Tennessee State as games to get ready for Alabama. So when you open the season with Alabama, I, I presume that they're going to blow up the schedules and and, and redo them because. There's a lot of variables that go into it. I would assume so as well. And one of the other things you need to take in consideration, though, Coach, you and I were talking about this on the phone over the weekend. There are a lot of these traditional matchups that are played every year. Georgia versus Georgia Tech. You know, these First time these since non- 1924. First time since 1924 play. that there is a potential that they will not play each other. Coach, I think there was another one we were talking about that goes back even further. Yeah, Clemson, South Carolina, 1909. You know, the fact that Clemson, South Carolina might not play for the first time in 110 years because of this is pretty, pretty mind blowing. The fact that they got through two world wars still playing it every year and, you know, because of COVID, you know, it looks like they're not going to. I mean, this is really, Josh, just sort of messing with a lot of the basic foundations that we have of college football. 
Yeah, but I just want to say that all said and done, it's going to be a minor footnote. I don't know the amount of times that Iowa and Minnesota have played. Obviously, that's a Big Ten game, so it's not at risk for that. But I don't think the average Clemson, South Carolina fan really cares how long ago their rivalry lasted. Just look and at besides, the Iron Bowl, Josh. Besides, none of those games are ever going to overshadow the one where they had the bench-clearing brawl and we got to see Lou Holtz's spectacular end of his career. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes, um, that was a very devastating brawl. Um, but no, just, I mean... Was that the Tommy Bowden era of Clemson, I believe? Yes, it was. Yeah. Um, just to back up your point, Josh, as, as it being a footnote, I mean, the Iron Bowl went 40 years... They had a 40-year gap um, in between, I think, like the 1920s, and they didn't resume it until like 1950. So, And nobody really talks about that, or that doesn't really seem to be a point of contention, or nobody really cares about that point. So to say that, I mean, it's an interesting note now, but I think in five years they're not going to even remember, oh, right, we didn't play each other that year, so we broke the streak. So I don't think it matters all that much. It's just one of those things that you're right now in the moment – it's surreal because, again, 110 years is, you know, it, it's quite a long time, I've heard. So um, it, it's just one of those things. I'll tell you who lucked out with all this. Oregon. They don't have, they don't have to play. <laughs> they don't have Ohio State? No, they don't have North Dakota State. <laughs> <laughs> I see That's what good. you did there. That's good. That was, I like that. That was, that was great. But. I mean, honestly, well, that was going to be one of the great games the opening weekend of this of the fall too. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, but I think one of the well, I think let's one... talk actually a little bit more though about not just FCS but also Group of Five. You know, either of you guys, Corey, I guess I'll direct this at you. Um, group of Five schools make a lot of their money by being, you know, uh, by by going to Power Five stadiums and being paid hefty sums of money to play and typically lose unless you're Georgia State playing against Tennessee. Um, and so I think that is going to fundamentally change how a lot of these group of five programs operate this season. Well, they're just going to have to get creative with their budgets. They're, you know, there's going to have to be some some donors, some, some creative donations. They're going to have to find ways to create revenue. They're going to have to I think you're going to see group of five uh, more prevalent on TV. They're going to have to get used to playing Tuesday night football so they can put those ads on the bleachers uh, like they do at, you know, premier league games and stuff like that. So um, the point I was going to make uh, prior to that question, Matt, is I think the conference only schedule stuff is going to help college football actually play in the summer or give it the best chance to play in the summer because you're going to have these conferences that have uniform policies, and it's going to be easier to manipulate the schedules if you're not dealing conference to conference. If you're just dealing with your own conference, you can shuffle things around and, and it'd be no problem. So, But as far as the group of five, I mean, I, I think the biggest, the biggest blow to the group of five, I think, is going to be Hawaii because they've got so much travel. Um, they're not going to be able – I mean, I think they're, they're going to, their budget's going to hurt. Um, I think you're going to see a lot of schools in the group of five do what Stanford did by cutting, I think, what, 11 sports? 
Yeah, but I mean, to be fair, Stanford has something like 28 or 29 varsity sports where most schools have like 16. So yeah. Stanford cutting 11 sports isn't really – is I don't think is a very good analogy in this case just because Stanford was already an outlier in the number of varsity sports that they offer. Yeah, because but they they're going to still cut sports. Oh, yeah, they're still going to cut sports. I mean, we've seen this all over the map, not just at Stanford, but schools left and right announcing that they are cutting sports. UConn and... cut four sports, I think. Mm-hmm. One of them was football. Um, no one noticed. <laughs> uh, to, to piggyback off coach, I, I think the, the group of five is going to have to get creative. They always have to be creative. That's why there's the Maction games in the middle of the week. But... It, it would certainly Sunbelt Tuesday. Yeah, I, I think it would help college sports in the long run if the Power Five teams honored at least some of their commitment. Like there's no reason, um I don't know if they faced either one, but like th- there's no reason for Ole Miss and Mississippi State not to like give a little bit of some breathing room to Southern Miss. They're all Mm -hmm. part of the same university system. You know, like this is the time where neighbors need to help neighbors. And just, you know, Iowa State, for instance, playing UNI to just cut them off and go, yep, get lost, sorry. It's like, what? (laughs) You're You're all part of the same feeder system. You're all the same border regions. Like, just, yeah, that... That's my personal feeling. But when you mentioned the group of five, Matt, I was thinking about what the American Conference Commissioner said, which I think was a dose of reality when the conferences were going to these conference-only schedules. Some coaches were like, well, even if we can't play here in the fall, like we could do spring football. We could make it work. And the commissioner was basically like, um... No, if, if if we're not playing in the fall, we're not going to be playing at all this year because as soon as you have spring football, that totally destroys the following season. Also, you'd have football players potentially doing almost, you know, 25 games depending on if they make it to I a mean, bowl, a conference th- title game. 30, yeah. 30 games. I mean, you played LSU played 15 games yeah, last year. Y- you could potentially play 30 games in a span of like, yeah, even probably less than that. Less. Yeah, yeah, probably like 10 months. Mm-hmm. It's just asinine. So I, I was appreciative of the AAC commissioner giving some hard truths. And the hard truth is um, – there's going to be a state that eventually has the first domino fall. I think it's going to be California. California already reshut everything down today. If school's not back in California, and that includes no open campuses, no student-athletes on campuses, how is the Pac-12 going to have a conference slate without USC, UCLA, Stanford, and Cal, assuming private schools also follow the public school mandate. Yeah, and and at the same time, how is the Mountain West going to have a season without San Diego State, Fresno State, and San Jose State? Yeah. Well, I mean, San Jose State, I mean, they could do without them. (laughs) You know, but the the same thing goes. And 
you know, one of the things that we talked about last time we were together was how the differing reactions from state to state might really upend this. And I think we're going to see something like that when we have California, who is, you know, with Governor Gavin Newsom, who is not at all afraid to shut things down versus you look at Governor Greg Abbott in Texas, who's saying or Ron DeSantis in Florida who's saying, yeah, just, you know, leave it all open, you know, and you know, leave the weak to, to die in the streets, basically, you know, not exactly in that many words, but, you know, and so you, especially when you have conferences that have schools across so many different states that are so different politically, I'm looking at something like, I mean, obviously, like the Big Ten covers a large swath of very different politically leaning states. So does the Pac-12. I mean, a place like Utah, which is a much more conservative state than a place like California or Washington state, you're going to have very different reactions and also very different amounts of people who are testing positive for COVID and the percentages and things like that. And it's just, it's such a cluster. And I don't, I also don't see the NCAA as a governing body doing any leading here whatsoever it's been left up to the commissioners and the leagues themselves and the conferences themselves much like the reaction has been left up to the governors and has not been taken care of at the uh at the executive branch level well the thing is regardless of a state's makeup politically even some very 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 red parts of this country closed schools Oh, yeah. And the I said it in one of our earliest shows since the the pandemic started. Universities budgets really don't get as much sports money as people think that sports money goes to the sports half of the school and they're kind of self-insulated. The academic part of the school gets so much money from tuition and donors and all that stuff, the optics of a college campus having a few deaths is going to be awful. If a college campus goes all the way and has like, you know, 10 to 30 deaths, that school can kind of like write off their next few freshman classes because no one's going to want to go there. Right. I mean, it's I mean, I'll take UGA just as the student body. I think at one point this was probably a couple of weeks ago now. I think at one point they had 150 cases just just like that. Um, the ones they started kind of allowing students back to campus and back to Athens. And so, you know, you're going to see, you know, Georgia is a very, very red state. And they opened they were probably one of the ones that opened. Uh, the soonest, um, I think behind I think everyone's behind Florida opening wise, but um, I'm not sure Florida not, even ever closed anything. <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. They, they were closed. Close, the they they, they, they were closed days. for a hot minute, not due to COVID, but due to an alligator infestation. <laughs> yes, uh, Florida man was caught uh, doing meth on off an alligator, so they shut down the state for a couple of days. But um, I actually googled that. No, um, but. It's like, you know, there's so many variables, you know, what we talked about, you know, students virtually. Well, the thought is that maybe you could isolate the football team, have them take virtual classes, and then 
treat the football center as like its own home base, like isolation chamber and, uh, and do it that way, you know, cause they're still taking classes, but they're on campus and they're sequestered with each other. I know, uh, and I keep using UJ as an example, but I know that there's a, a hotel on campus that the team usually stays at for fall camp um, when they're being, you know, they're, they're obviously every year sequestered for a couple of weeks at fall camp. Um, so they could stay there if, if need be, if they needed to create their own little bubble. So, you know, I think the smart thing to do if you wanted college football would kind of follow that bubble model. I don't know what you guys think about that. What well, you guys I, think I, have, actually, I have, actually, I have a couple but, issues with that. First of all, like, you can't have a bubble on a college campus because they're inevitably going to be running into other non-football players, even if they're taking online classes, like just move going from wherever they are staying, whether it's a hotel or their dorms, to the practice facility, you're going to run into other people. Also, they're freaking 18 to 23-year-olds. Like, I don't know if you remember, Corey, Josh, I, you and I were together when we were that age. Um, I, don't I don't remember f- much. Is that bad? Well, I think that's the point. True. I, I think that's the point that, you know, uh, I mean, we've already seen it with LSU and Clemson and some of these schools coming back. Like, you know, even if they're told to sequester and be quarantined and, you know, and not leave their rooms and dorms, they're going to. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, they're 18 to 24 year olds, you know, yeah, and they're, they're gonna, I, gonna I, I don't blame them. I don't think it's I don't I wouldn't say it's, you know, I, I cannot imagine anyone with any sort of rational thought saying, yeah, I have 115, you know, young men between 18 and 24, and I expect all of them to sit dutifully in their room for 24 hours a day, or except for when they are at practice. Like, it's not going to happen. No. I, I just thought, I saw that brought up. Um, I, mean, I, 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 don't, I don't see anything that happening. Plus, that the would... optics of doing something like that, when you're saying that, okay, we're going to make all these special accommodations for the football players. But football players and all student athletes are not supposed to be any different than other students on campus. You're going to cause a whole nother uproar just with that by giving them all of that extra special treatment. What about the kids who are there on a music scholarship? What about the kids who are there as your as a history major or whatever, you know? And if you're not going to be able to uh, afford to provide them with the same kind of uh, opportunities, then you're going to get some real issues. Josh is speechless. No, I, I mean I just agree with everything that has been said. I I was um, hanging out with uh, my dad over the weekend. He asked if I had seen this story from our hometown, Iowa City. I was like, "No, what's up?" And he was he said that they opened up their summer school. It was the first day of class of summer school. And they made it literally one day, and then so many kids tested positive, they shut it down. Um, the yeah. the fact of the matter is schools don't have good ways of sanitizing stuff between use. They don't have air ventilation. They don't have any of that stuff. And then you add in a football team where, I mean – how do you social distance and maintain like the weight room? <laughs> like, oh God! Yeah. I mean, how, how do you how do you social distance on the you know on on the sled? Yeah. How do you social distance during the Oklahoma drill? Even though I know most schools have canceled that by now. Well, let's l- listen to this. I'll I'll take it down to the high school level and uh, tell you guys about some of the uh, literature 
I use literature uh, loosely, uh, that we've gotten for uh, for COVID procedures. We, we were told that the, the governing body for the Tennessee Secondary uh, Sports High Schools, TSSAA, I think it's the Tennessee Secondary School Athletic Association, um, they had a special meeting so that they could tell us that they were going to have a special meeting to decide on options for fall sports. And then at that second special meeting, they decided they were, you know, instead of just sending a press release saying, yeah, we're going to delay the vote. Um, they just had this special meeting and sat there. And then all of a sudden, you know, after 45 minutes decided they were going to delay the vote. And um, so they sent out this like, letter and i thought it was like okay well maybe they came up with a with a plan okay here we go we got something concrete and it's basically just saying yeah you're not allowed to make contact you need to social distance um you can basically do conditioning and that that was like the 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 extent of it there was zero guidance on how we should do that stuff and um so we're preparing as if we're going to have a season which i mean that's all we can do because if they tell us we can go, we're going to go. We don't want to be unprepared. But, you know, it's very hard because we're having to do things like uh, try to social distance. You know, we had like any other year we would have had 20 kids show up and we'd have been fine social distancing. This year we had 51 show up. So <laughs> I love the fact that we had 51 show up, but it makes it nearly impossible to social distance. So. Um, we've gotten zero guidance from anyone uh, in that regard. Um, I think schools finally came around, uh, at least here in uh, Nashville, came around and said we're going to start the year virtual mm-hmm. and go till Labor Day, which mm-hmm. was the right call. The counties, the surrounding counties are not going virtual, so um, we'll get to see kind of firsthand uh, here in Nashville. Matt, you and I will get to see firsthand of how Rutherford's going to look how, I think Rutherford's going to get decimated. How Cheatham's going to look? How Sumner's going to look? How yeah, Wilson's Rutherford look. for the for you know for, for those of you who do not live in Middle Tennessee, Rutherford is where Murfreesboro is, and uh, Rutherford, right? That's that's where Murfreesboro is, right? Coach, yeah, it Rutherford is. County. Yeah, everyone there that all uh, a, a lot of the COVID deniers, people who think it's a hoax and stuff like that, are like cheering the mayor of Murfreesboro, who's saying like everything's open and you know yeah. And so Matt, a little, it's going a little to come back lesson. and bite them in the butt so hard. So a, a little geography lesson um, about Rutherford County and, and kind of where it's located. Um, you, I don't know if you've ever seen the heat maps for Nashville as far as like where all the cases are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, okay. I, I, I look at that stuff every day. Yeah, so you know the southeastern portion, Antioch, is where most of the hotspots are, right? Yep. Well, you know what the f- you know where Rutherford County starts? Uh, Antioch. Like right Antioch. next to it's 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 right over in, yeah. next to Antioch, yeah. Yeah. So, do you think all of those people stay on the Davidson County side? No. They no. Don't. No. They do so not. So many of them they spill into Laverne. Well, yeah. and also on on, on on top of that, like at you know at the school I work at here in Nashville, like half my students live in in, in Murfreesboro. Yeah, like, like half my students like are commuting from Murfreesboro every day, and so they are. You know, my school, the technical school a, that I teach at, has yeah. been back in person for over a month now. It's a densely populated town. Yeah, um, they're going to get 
like Wilson County is a little bit more spread out. They may they may be okay. They're they're probably going to come through relatively unscathed. Uh, Sumner County, Hendersonville is going to get hit hard um, because they're proximate. Like anybody within the close proximity of Davidson County, or anybody that's touching Davidson County, should have went all virtual. Mm-hmm. Um, if you ask me, but um, they didn't ask me. So nope, they did not ask uh, you. They did not ask me. They did not ask Josh. Yeah, what I find most interesting, I'm sure, Coach, you've been on meetings like this. Um, Matt, you said you're back in person, so you might not have, have you might not have had the week, so yeah. yeah, you might not have had the joys of these meetings. But I love the the absolute absurd Kubaki theater of having Zoom meetings so we can socially distance to explain how we are going to safely have school in the fall. And it's like, oh yeah, oh it, that's it, awesome. It's like, oh yeah, like, like like when Betsy DeVos comes on yeah. and says that all schools have to go back in person while she yeah. is doing a Zoom meeting yeah. from her house with a bookcase behind her. She's the secretary of education with a bookcase behind her that has no books on it. Yeah, I mean, we're about a month away from when we're supposed to have classes, and um, really, you know, state of Illinois doesn't seem to know what they're doing. Chicago Public Schools doesn't seem like they know what they're doing, and my little Atlanta Public Schools is going all virtual. And my little, yeah, my little private school, we don't know what what, what we're doing. We had, Los Angeles announced today that they're going full virtual for the first semester. Yeah, I, I wouldn't. It wouldn't surprise me if we follow suit here before too long. We say Illinois had a couple days in a row where we had a thousand new cases, first time since like March, April that we hit those levels so tennessee had 3300 today new cases yeah so how many how many were in davidson what's that how many were in davidson a lot well a lot of them i mean because like the cases are 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 in in state of tennessee are basically local uh, for the most part are in davidson shelby and knox well yesterday the state of illinois went dipped back under a thousand to 950 something and I told Dad, I was like, well, that's because less people got tested because they were all in church getting each other sick. <laughs> <laughs> well, that would be more true in Tennessee than it is in Illinois, let's face it. There are a lot more people going to church in Tennessee than there are. Well, anymore. rural southern Illinois. You, yeah, you don't need, Matt, you don't need to go too far south <laughs> where your beautiful wife grew up to find Confederate flags. <laughs> no, this is very, very true. Not that, not saying that she had one in her house growing up because she did not. No, no, she's in suburban Chicago, but she's yeah. in a, a very. But she's in the s- southern suburbs. Su- yeah, 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 yeah. Not too far. All right. Well, let let's let's talk about a little bit happier of a topic, at least for Coach. Coach, you now have not one but two transfer quarterbacks who are immediately eligible uh, with the ruling that came down today that former USC quarterback five former five-star recruit number one high school quarterback in the country i believe in his class who is at least top three jt mm-hmm. daniels is immediately eligible and the ruling that the reason he's immediately eligible is because i believe they said because he's a quarterback and <laughs> yes. that is so uh that, coach that is what accurate. does that mean for your dogs assuming that we have a season this fall is he going to unseat jamie newman who has been the presumed starter ever since he transferred from as a grad transfer coming over from wake forest or is you know is JT gonna come in and start slinging the rock around and you know make a push for the starting gig? I think JT is gonna make things interesting. Um, He's a I very think... different quarterback. They are two extraordinarily different quarterbacks, not just in, in their build, but just in I think the way that they see the game. 
Yeah, I, I think uh, ultimately this season he's not going to unseat Jamie Newman because I think the intelligence level of where Jamie Newman is versus where JT Daniels is, just experience and intelligence that you gain from experience. I think Newman has the upper hand. I think Newman's been in the system a little bit, you know, not, not too much longer, but a little bit longer than JT has been. And I think Newman's just more healthy than JT Daniels. I mean, JT Daniels has been battling injuries and still recovering, so we don't know where he is physically. Um, the thought of JT Daniels was I think he was going to hope to compete this year, but I think he was more so gearing up to uh, have that uh, breakout year next season um, and maybe try to try to get two, but I think he was just going to be thankful with injuries to get next year and, and try to try to do try to, you know, make some noise. But I, you know, I think if you asked, I think if you asked uh, Daniels, I think he was surprised that he even got eligible. I don't think he expected to be eligible. And I think this probably caught him off guard. Um, well, not really off guard because that's, that's not the right word, but, um, it, I think he's thankful. I think he's happy about it and I think he'll compete. I think he'll make it interesting. And I think you'll, you know, I think it's going to be a good camp storyline, but I think ultimately, um, he will not unseat Jamie Newman. Jamie Newman's good. Um, and he put that on display at the, at the elite 11 as a camp counselor. They had a, they always have the counselor, uh, competition and, you know, uh, Justin Fields was there as a counselor and, um, that kind of reopened the wound for, for Georgia fans there, uh, watching him compete. But, uh, you know, they still haven't shut up about J- about Justin Fields. But um, So uh, I think it's very good, though, because Newman is a runner. Um, he's more of a runner than, than Daniels is, so he's got more of a chance to take a beating in the, in the SEC. And if we're going all-conference schedule – that definitely lends some possible playing time for JT Daniels in injury relief. Um, so it's very valuable to have another starter. Um, even if he even if he serves as a backup, I think he will play some meaningful snaps. I just don't think he's going to be a full-time starter. Yeah, definitely. I think that it is – I mean, I'm not surprised that he was ruled to be eligible immediately because he is, a, he is a quarterback, and apparently that's just what the NCAA does, says – Oh, most people have to sit out, but if you're a quarterback, you don't have to sit out. That's just the way it is. But yeah. I still like James. I, I still, if you also, if you look at their overall quarterbacking play. So last season, Jamie Newman was like a top 20 quarterback in the country in QBR. JT yes. Daniels, the last time he played meaningful games, 2018, wasn't even in the top 100. He struggled his which I think that would have been his sophomore year, or maybe that was his true freshman year, I can't quite remember. But yeah. he just did not does not nearly have the same pocket presence, awareness, just overall uh, ability to read the game and not make mistakes. Um, but one of the things, Coach, though, that I think that people are overlooking is the fact that Georgia has a whole bunch of new receivers this year, too. And you can make a case... Because what, what I've heard people saying is that, like, oh, Jamie Newman, like, he's going to be so good because the receivers he had at Wake Forest weren't any good. That's a lie. Sage Surratt's a great receiver. They have Nolan Gruel's a good receiver. They've got some good receivers there. Yeah, his two his two worst games, though, they were out. They were injured. Yeah, but – and that's but the yes. point. But, yeah. at, at, you know, at Georgia's bringing in a whole new set of receivers, too, and it's going to take a little while for them to get that chemistry. Oh, yeah. I mean, like any new situation, doesn't matter if you're walking into – um, a situation like the Atlanta Falcons where you have Calvin Ridley and Julio Jones. Any new quarterback is going to have to develop that chemistry. Um, 
But, you know, you have a guy, George Pickens, who's talent, more talented than, you know, well over half the receivers in the country. Um, half the receivers you have in the a, country? Are you kidding me? Like, then the, the, the 95% of the receivers in the country. That guy's a physical freak. Yeah, I was I was being a little modest, but yes, very modest. There's a reason he um, was he was a high four star, five star coming out of high school. Like exactly. Um, but what what comes in behind him is a whole lot of there's some talented guys, but we just don't know anything about them because um, the guys on the roster were either uh, like Kyrus Jackson was was injured all year. Dominique Blaylock was starting to come on, and then he tore his ACL. Uh, Matt Landers was a flop, and then everybody else were a whole lot of nothing burgers. And then you have three. You have three really extremely talented freshmen that are coming in that are going to look to uh, for playing time, and then some of it was scheme related. Like there was no, you know, we talked about this, you know, right around the uh, right around the time that they were firing and hiring and firing coaches when James Coley left. One of the one of the biggest things about Coley and his system and the way he called the games was very by the play. He, like he lived and died on the play sheet, which as a good coordinator, the play sheet is just supposed to be there in case you need it. It's like that fire extinguisher that sits on the wall with the glass break if needed. And most coordinators usually don't break that glass. Um, yeah, Coach, I've sat in the booth with you when you're calling games and offense. I don't think you looked at your play sheet once. No. it. it I mean, I, there were times where I wasn't even holding it. There were times it was probably in my back pocket. Um, no, most you, of the time I was charting plays for you and I was holding it. Yeah. <laughs> you were trying to see exactly what <laughs> I was like, what the what hell did the, he just call? Yeah. I was like, here, it's probably somewhere on there. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think it, the point of all that is you got to have a feel of the game. And, and he didn't have a feel of the game. So, you know, the scheme kind of put the receivers at a disadvantage, I think, some too. That, that, that goes, it, that's got to go into it. That's not the end all be all, but that's got to go into it. Then, uh, you know, some, some promising things coming into this year is those guys got some experience. You, you hope that Kearse Jackson, who and Dominic Blaylock are two really talented receivers that you don't know much about. Hopefully they can step up. We have Marcus Roseme, uh, who is, I think, the highest rated of the bunch coming in from uh, St. Thomas Aquinas. Uh, then you have Jermaine Burton, who flipped over from LSU. And then, um, you know, those two guys, I think, are, are in the running for a good amount of significant playing time. Then you got James Cook, who, when he's not playing running back, he can moonlight as a slot receiver because Todd Monken has no qualms going 10 personnel, um, as, as you know, from from Oklahoma State. And even when he was at Southern Miss, they had, I think, they were top, they were like top 20 in all offensive categories, which is unheard of at the time at Southern Miss because when he took over, he was taking over for an 0-12 program. So for them to be good at anything was, was impressive. So his acumen speaks for itself, so you know there's going to be a lot of opportunity there. So... There's a lot of excitement. You just don't know what's going to happen. Um, you know it's going to be George Pickens and then everybody else. We also get transfer tight end Trey McKitty from Florida State. Don't know much about him. Maybe he works out. Maybe he doesn't. You roll the dice. He's an experienced veteran who's played Power 5 football. Um, so you, you don't know what you're going to get uh, with him. But if you get half of what he did at Florida State, that's going to be valuable. You bring in a guy that looks like LeBron James at tight end in the recruiting class, Darnell Washington um, from Las Vegas. Um, so you got a lot of weapons. You just don't know anything about them. The only thing you know, the only people you know about are James Cook and uh, George Pickens and uh, Zeus, uh, Zamir White. <laughs> yes, uh, I, I'm excited to see to see Zeus as the feature back this year. 
because coming out of high school, I mean, he was a pretty special player. But before yeah. we get going, though, oh, I just wanted to say real quick, Matt, you kind yeah. of you hit uh, kind of my argument perfectly about JT Daniels versus Newman. Uh, you know, Daniels highly regarded five-star quarterback, but in his true freshman season, uh, he had an under 60% completion rate, uh, 2,600 yards, 6.9 yards per attempt, 14 touchdowns, 10 interceptions on a team that went 5-7. and seven. Um, Never easy to be a first-year starter, but he also had a lot of hype surrounding him. I think it's safe to say he didn't fully live up to it. Um, on the other hand, Jamie Newman, he was the backup to start 2018, but played the last four games of the season, ended up getting stats in six games. So in a half a season in 2018, uh, he was right at 60% passing a thousand yards, a 7.7 yards per attempt, nine touchdowns, four interceptions than last year as the starter in all 12 games. Uh, just a hair over 60% completion percentage, uh, almost 2,900 yards, eight yards per attempt, 26 touchdowns, 11 interceptions. When their careers are all said and done, JT Daniels may very well pan out as living up to all that five-star hype and be the better college player. But in terms of where he's at in not having played for a whole year, this offseason being so disrupted, the fact that it was a pretty devastating ACL injury, yeah, I think that's the bigger thing I, than I, anything I think, else. Yeah, I, is, I think is it coming off he's that injury. Yeah, I think Newman starts this year, um, and you know maybe maybe next year it gets revisited. But uh, I, I'm with what you said, Matt and Coach. Well, you were Newman's done after after yeah. this year. Newman's a one and done. Yeah, I mean yeah. Newman's a grad transfer. He has it's his yeah. last season of eligibility. Yeah. Daniels has two years yeah. left. Right. Yeah, and and so another point that we're not that we're missing. Well, you, you kind of touched on it, but. You know, not only did he not play football for a full year, but since the pandemic happened and since he left USC and and kind of both those things combined, up until now uh, when he was just allowed back on campus, when I say now, I mean like within the last couple, within the last few weeks, uh, that he was just allowed on a campus, he hasn't got any medical grade treatment, I'm sure, um, on his knee and his rehab. It's so much different at home. Like he probably hasn't had the same level of rehab on his knee that he normally would if he was on a college oh, campus. Oh yeah, because you don't you don't from, have the trainers there with you, putting you through the exercises, no. putting you through your paces, and being able to, you know, and watch no one your is, progress. No one that kind is of stuff. exactly. No one is disciplined enough to do that kind of rigorous rehab on their own. No one. Um, no matter how or even even if you have the even if you have if you, if you have something close to the discipline to do the rehab on your own without having someone there to supervise you doing so they're going to pick up on things like oh well actually maybe you think you're doing okay but i'm noticing you don't have the amount of stability that you should have at this point so we need to change this and do x y and yeah. z instead of a b and c and so, so so you're saying there's nobody there to evaluate their progress exactly so and and that's that's a big factor like you don't know how like when when live when live bullets are flying around him, uh, you have you have the number one defense in the country going going up against you uh, in a in a controlled scrimmage. You don't know how your leg's going to hold up because you're not going to be able to sit there and think about your leg. You're trying to figure out 
how in the hell am I going to get rid of this ball before Aziz Ojolari puts me in the turf? Or God forbid, in, the, in your if it stands right now, your opening game against Alabama. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that. Um, he, I mean, you just don't know how your leg's going to respond. I no, mean, the first don't. time you – I mean, he he's going to throw a few dirt balls early on. His, I mean, early on in scrimmages because he's not going to he's not going to know when he plants and drives off that leg or drives into that leg, depending. I forget which leg it is, but um, depending on which leg it is, he's either driving into it or driving off of it. Uh, either way, there's some weight shifting going on, and you don't know how well it's going to hold up, mm-hmm. and you don't know how well you can trust it. So you're either going to sail a ball uh, into the stratosphere, or you're going to or you're gonna, uh, you're gonna put it right in the ground. Twelve hop it. You're yeah. gonna twelve hop it to the receiver. So you just don't know. There's so many unknowns. And and Newman is perfectly healthy. Newman's been working out with the team. He's been throwing. He's been doing things. He's been digesting the playbook and doing virtual walkthroughs with the guys. Um, you know, because he's been here since January, so he's had some of that, mm-hmm. uh, some of that interaction. He's had even some of that live interaction with Todd Monken. So. He's a little bit ahead of the curve mentally. He's ahead of the curve physically because he was with Coach Sinclair before everything got shut down. Um, so he got some training. And they were getting ready to start uh, spring practice. So uh, before everything, I think they got maybe one practice in before they shut it down. So he was he was able to get something, some form of work. So you got to think that gives him a leg up. Not saying Daniels can't come in and win the job because he certainly can. It's just how how's his leg going to respond, and how fast can he pick up on things because he's certainly behind the eight ball in both regards. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, before we finish up, Josh, we need to check in with the Iowa Hawkeye football program because. Oh, do we have? To? Uh, I mean, I I feel like we owe them at least thirty seconds because last time we checked, uh, you had fired your strength and conditioning coach. And then since then, we've had a couple former athletes come out and say, yeah, he's not the only problem. Yeah, and the, the most notable player was Akram Wadley. Um, the, 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 the very good tailback who played for them for a while. The, the, the confusing thing right now for really all parties involved is yet again, the player put a lot of it on Chris Doyle, who they got rid of. And the the stuff about Kirk hasn't really teetered on, well, he treated me this way because I'm black. It was more, he's a hard-ass coach. And, I mean, Kirk's been doing this for 20 years. So he's stuck in his ways. Um, his, you know, maybe he's an asshole, maybe he's a hard-ass, maybe he's all those things. Um, doesn't mean that you can do it nowadays. I mean, the famous example, Woody Hayes punched a kid. It got fired. Like, we've seen other coaches. No one tolerated Bobby Knight's behavior at the end. And not that Kirk is punching people or throwing chairs across the court, but we've seen this progression of hard asses aren't really around as much. They're kind of a dying breed. And the other thing that's very confusing, especially about Akram Wadley's comments, is he's saying this after he left and didn't get a pro contract. And so he's kind of angry at that standpoint. And uh, the journalist did a really poor job. In fact, it was like a Facebook interview, so I don't even know if it was like a real journalist that did this. But whoever he was talking to 
didn't really push back on anything because, as a player, Wadley actively tried to get his brother recruited to Iowa. So if it was the worst, you know, thing that ever happened to him and he said he would never do it again, go to Iowa, if he could have a do-over, he wouldn't go to Iowa. Why was he trying to get his brother into that same situation? So, um, you know, I think Wadley needs to kind of uh, help clarify his statements, help fans understand, help the university understand. Um, But for every player that's come forward, it's been, well, Chris Doyle does this racist stuff. Brian Ferentz is an asshole. And Kirk Ferentz is a tough-as-nails coach who treated me badly. And that's, like, got to figure out. If Kirk is treating the white kids equally hard as he's treating the players of color, then it's a different discussion. Then it's, hey, Kirk, it's it's 2020. You're not on Fry staff in the 70s anymore where you get to, like, threaten a kid's meal plan, which was one of Wadley's complaints. That's a different conversation than if Kirk has a level of hard-assness to the black kids and then a different level for the white kids, then it turns into, um, Kirk, what are you doing? Why do you have this racial blind spot? So the the Iowa story story is still in flux. We don't know what's going on. Um, the university is still doing probably investigations. Um, but I'm certainly glad that players are coming forward with their story. I think it helps in the long run to get as many um, accounts. And on the other scale, um, there's a a former player of color, his name's eluding me right now, um, who after graduation, he actually became a police officer in the state of Wisconsin, I believe. And he came out saying like, Kirk was the greatest thing that ever happened in his life. So uh, the whole thing is a confused mess. I'm glad Chris Doyle was gotten rid of because that was the one constant in all the players, um, you know, tales of what happened while they were suiting up for Iowa. The other stuff just is a mystery at this point. So, Josh, do do you believe that they should clean house? Do you believe that the truth is somewhere between Wadley and there's no problems or you know, what, what are your thoughts on the state of the program? Is it time to clean house, basically? Well, I think, um, you know, Kirk's been there for 20-some years. Sometimes getting new blood is not the worst thing in the world to happen. Uh, there's a lot of great up-and-coming coaches in the FCS rank or at smaller schools. There's tons and tons of amazing coordinators out there. Um, you look at Iowa's numbers offensively, and we are so far behind the times on that front. And Brian Ferentz, uh, you talked about not having a feel for the game and need to look at your play sheet all the time, Coach. It, you know, I don't know if Brian Ferentz ever looks up from the thing. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a wonder that some of these coaches one, – yeah. one of my favorite pictures, Josh, not to derail you, but <laughs> one of my favorite pictures, uh, they made a meme out of it. Um, it was uh, Ben McAdoo when he was the head coach of the Giants. <laughs> He has, uh, he has I the think, he has the cheesecake factory menu for in front of yeah. him. <laughs> he has four like, and, and they have uh, three binder clips, uh, four 
like 11 by 17 sheets front and back front and back with like six point font (laughs) and there's a picture of him just like like he's got it so close to his face and he's like he's like struggling to like flip him over and and find what he wants (laughs) Uh, (laughs) ken niamatololo's playbook is a post-it that says triple option on it mike mike leach like in all seriousness, Mike Leach has a folded piece of paper that has, <laughs> and that he that he he just holds it in his hand. He doesn't ever look at it, but he just yeah. holds it in his hand. Uh, but to get back to your question, Coach, he I, probably draws pictures yeah. of pirates on there or something. Uh, to get back to your question, I think, you know, if the university chooses to clean house, I think that is certainly a fine way to go. Some of the heat that Brian Ferentz has taken, combined with his lackluster coaching, I think is a plenty fine of a reason to cut ties with him. Also now, nepotism. Yeah. Now, it's a unique situation if Kirk Kirk's to avoid the allegation of nepotism. He's actually not the direct boss of Brian Ferentz. Brian was hired by the athletic director. So and I'm sure had Kirk had nothing to do with that whatsoever. Obviously, yeah. Uh, so theoretically, the AD could can Brian Ferentz. Now, does Kirk then go, well, you fired my son, I'm going to retire and just call it that? Maybe. Um, but like I was saying, if if it turns out that Kirk is just this hard-ass old-school coach on everybody, it's going to be harder for the universe anymore. And, and clean house without a warning. I think he almost, at that point, has to get, like, a, a warning type thing, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, I think that is going to wrap it up for us here tonight on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. Uh, Josh, any final words? None for me, other than uh, just keep wearing your mask, um, the whole point of it is you don't get other people sick. Yeah, wear your mask so they can wear their helmets and okay. so we can all have college football. Yes. Um, yeah, I saw I saw a study or something the other day that said if we had all been wearing our masks this entire time, we would have reduced this whole thing by 80% and we would have, like, had football yeah. at the – Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. There, 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 there's a reason that all of the sports teams in Western Europe are back to playing again. There's this reason that, you know, South Korea has fewer cases in their entire epidemic than Florida had in one day. Yeah, they were playing baseball in March, which is ridiculous. Um, KBO, uh, one baby. last thing. Yeah, there you go. One last thing on a extremely lighter note. Uh, congrats to little prime time he committed uh to fau today bit of a shocker uh, there this, he's a, he was a pretty yeah, highly should, regarded quarterback coming out of texas state of texas and he's going to fau yeah, should should sanders so and I, I i thought he was gonna go to louisville personally i thought i, I, I thought i too. thought he was a lock for louisville I, I did too but maybe maybe prime wants him to play for willie taggart why <laughs> I, I don't know why i don't i i 
Maybe he knows something I don't. Maybe Willie is a Prime also thinks that he group. should be like the head coach at every college football program, though. So, I mean, I think I, th- I think the delusion of grandeur is present in both Primetime and Willie Taggart. So, yes, I'll, true. I'll leave it at that. I'll leave it at that. True, true, true. So, um, also, final note, um, check out check out the Believe in Georgia Dogs podcast. And while you're at it, check out the Believe in Vanderbilt football podcast with my man Matthew Perkins and Zach Stacy. Uh, there you go. Commodore legend, graduated as the school's all-time leading rusher, leading year in rushing touchdowns, leading pretty much every rushing category. And I thought Jay Cutler led those categories. In rushing, no. Yeah, in, he was in, highly mobile. That's what I remember. Uh, the only thing he was rushing to was a buffet. <laughs> and Kristen Cavallari, which he's not not anymore. anymore. Um. So, yes, uh, that's it. You know, I I got the uh, I've had the privilege of listening to Matt and Zach uh, on I think what do y'all three episodes now? Four, yeah, something like that. Ticket four, yeah. something like that. Um, I can't wait. Uh. I am waiting on the invitation. I guess it got lost in the mail. Oh no! It'll, it, it, it'll be there. It'll be there once we once we start getting to our, our season previews, Coach. We're, we're we're having you in, Josh. We're having you in. We're gonna talk a little ball. Matt, Matt is it is it is it kind of like when you say the checks in the mail that never comes? Uh, pretty much. Oh, That's how I operate. Um, but uh, yeah. So yeah, I, w- I want to do like a mega show with you and Zach, and uh, you know, I, I hope to have. Uh, I, I think that'll be fun, and. Uh, you know, I hope both of our show. I hope we grow into the two mammoths of the Believe Network. Well, we need to we we need to get Josh in on the third uh, as the third one. Yes, the believe in Hawkeyes football. <laughs> believe in the Hawks. Believe in the Hawks. It's not going to be called Believe in Brian Ferentz because that then the title would be a lie. Be an oxymoron. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, with I that, uh, we're going to call it a day. So, on behalf of. Our own offensive coordinator, the coach, Corey Burton, here in Nashville, Tennessee, and our intrepid blogger from Big Ten and Counting, Josh Cook, up there in Chicago, Illinois. This is the professor in the Music City saying so long and see you next time on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. Wait, Matt, we have a caller. Uh, Caller, you're on line one. Guys, uh, this was a truly, tremendously awesome, outstanding show. I really enjoyed it. I really, really, really enjoyed it, and uh, I think it's going to reach millions and millions and millions and millions of people. I just wanted to say congratulations, and uh, make sure you get your butts back in school. Thank you. Good night. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.